We're just a couple of weeks away from Easter. So let me ask you this. How are you preparing yourself for this weekend of reflection and celebration of Jesus' death and resurrection? Welcome to the GBC Sermon Podcast, a weekly message from Gamia Baptist Church in Sydney, Australia. I'm Mark Rader, Senior Pastor here at GBC, and I'm excited about what the Holy Spirit will do in your life as you listen to this message. As a community of faith here, we are passionate about helping people hear and respond to the invitation of God in their life and join in His mission to restore everything in Jesus. In today's message, we begin a short series that will take us through to Easter entitled, Behold. It's a series in John's Gospel reflecting on the way John uses some of the language and imagery from the book of Exodus and the wilderness journey to describe Jesus' ministry. In the first of two different messages this week, we look at the prologue of John's Gospel. Our Bible reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. John 1, 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of man of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of all the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace, in place of grace already given. For the Lord was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Good morning. Uh, Some of you have probably heard me talk about relationships and the rules that uh, kind of guide relationships before. And this is based on this kind of simple idea that our behavior in relationships matters, right? Whether uh, that's a relationship with an utter stranger or a work colleague uh, or a very close friend, there are certain behaviors that are appropriate and apt for each of those interactions. Uh, so uh, you've heard me say this before, perhaps, uh, if you get onto a bus late at night and there's only one person on the bus, you may sit anywhere you like except right next to that person, because that's creepy. Uh, And if uh, you didn't know that, then write that down, because that's why people keep looking at you weird or getting off at the next stop when you sit next to them late at night. Uh, And so these kind of rules or behaviors guide uh, all of our interactions and all of our relationships. But very rarely in a relationship do we focus much on the rules. Uh, We're too busy enjoying the relationship. 
right? We don't focus too much on the kind of behavior that goes into that relationship. I mean, if I started, to, if I only ever talked about my relationship with Nicole uh, in terms of the rules of that relationship, of the behavior in that relationship, you'd probably wonder what kind of relationship I actually had with her, right? Our, our relationship trumps the behavior, even though the behavior is important. But I think sometimes when we begin to think about the rules of relationships or behaviors, it can actually hinder the relationship too. I've never met the, the queen. I've never met the pope. I don't foresee meeting either of them, actually, to tell you the truth. Uh, but for both the queen and the pope, and there'll be other people like them, there's kind of a shell of protocol around them, isn't there? Right? There's a whole bunch of things that you do and don't do, say and don't say, if you were to have interactions with the queen or the pope or people like them. And I reckon that if I ever had the opportunity to meet the pope or the queen, I'd probably be a lot more concerned about the protocol than I would be about the actual conversation that we were going to have. I'd be a little bit more concerned to make sure that I didn't do the wrong thing or say the wrong thing or whatever it might be. And if you were to ask me afterwards, so how did it go with the Pope, I'd probably tell you about how I went or didn't go with the protocol. Oh, it was fun until I had to shake his hand. I couldn't remember if it was two shakes or three. I, I, I just couldn't, I just, I just lost it, right? I might tell you a bit about the conversation, but I'd probably talk about the protocol wrapped around it. You might be wondering where I'm going with this. Hopefully, it'll all make sense a little bit later on. So we'll come back to that. Just kind of keep that in mind. We are starting this series entitled Behold, an opportunity for us to prepare for Easter, to look at the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus in the Gospel of John. But we're doing so with an eye to the other series that we're working on, which is the book of Exodus. I've told you before, and you might already be aware, that the, the story of Exodus is one that is interpreted and reflected upon uh, countless times in the Old Testament, and is one that is reflected in just about every single part of Scripture, including the Gospels. And so we thought as we lead into Easter, it might be interesting not just to think about how John talks about Jesus, but to think a little bit about the imagery and language from Exodus and think about how that informs our understanding of Jesus, how he uh, saw his own life and ministry, how he understood his own death and the things that that signified for him. So that's what we're trying to do over the course of uh, these next few weeks. And this morning, we're looking at this passage at the very beginning of John, the prologue of John. It kind of gives you the 30,000-foot view of Jesus' ministry, right? It doesn't get any kind of bigger picture than, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it kind of lowers itself down, and we end up on ground level with uh, John the Baptist pretty shortly. Uh, and there's lots of things that we could say about this prologue and lots of things that have been said, but I want to draw your attention to the two places where John draws on Exodus language, Exodus imagery, and what that tells us about Jesus and how it helps us shape and understand what Jesus was on about. So if you have your Bibles with you and you want to open to John chapter 1, let me draw your attention, first of all, to verse 14. So John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. Now, the, the term dwelling can be more literally taken as tabernacled. 
which is a, a kind of a funny word that we wouldn't use in, in kind of common language anymore, but it gives an eye, casts an eye back to Exodus. Uh, in the book of Exodus, I'm going to ruin the ending for you if you don't know how it ends, the people come out of Egypt, and instead of going directly to the land of Canaan, they actually detour to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, Moses goes up the mountain to meet with God, and he receives two things. He receives the law, which we'll come back to in a moment, and he receives extensive instructions for the construction of the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was a fairly elaborate traveling temple. Uh, it was... Um, something that they could take down, like I'll pack up and take with them to the next place. And when they camped, they would set the tabernacle up, and that was where God would dwell with his people. He would tabernacle in the midst of them. And God's presence with the people of Israel in the center of the camp was what set them apart from all the other nations. God's presence in the center of the camp is what uh, was the source of blessing for them. It was the source of blessing for the wider nations as well. And we touched on this briefly last week. The idea that in the book of Exodus, the story is not just about God being concerned for some oppressed people and setting them free to do whatever they wanted. Uh, it's actually about God setting, setting the people of Israel free in order that they might shift their allegiance, that they might be a people who had served Pharaoh, and now that we were, they were free, were free to serve the Lord. And so the detour down to Sinai is actually this critical part where the people uh, meet with God and God begins to dwell in their midst. When they set the tabernacle up, the, there was a pillar of cloud that would sit above it. It was the glory of God that was there. So John picks up this language from the book of Exodus. He says that there's something similar about what Jesus has done in terms of how he has become a human being like us and is now dwelling with us. There's something similar but different to when God would dwell with his people in the tabernacle. And so part of what we have to grapple with then is which parts are similar and which parts are different. And the similarities, I think, are fairly straightforward, aren't they? Uh, that God was with his people and Jesus is with his people. There's this kind of the physical presence. But there's a big difference, isn't there, between a building and a person. Maybe you go to people's houses for lunch or dinner or whatever, and if you pay attention to their house, their house tells you something about them, doesn't it? A house speaks about the people who live there. It talks about the, you know, the number of kids and the things that are valuable to them and the things that they, prior they prioritize and where the money ran out in the renovation and all of those sorts of things, right? Like you can tell quite a bit about people from where they live. Uh, you know, fair warning, if I'm either at your house, I like looking at people's bookshelves and seeing what they want me to think that they're reading or whatever it might be, right? Like I like having a look and seeing what books are on the bookshelf. And that tells you something about people too. But it's all indirect, isn't it? Because it's actually, your house will only tell me a little bit about you and your bookshelf will only tell me a little bit about you. It's when we sit down and have lunch together and we actually have a conversation that I really learn about you, Right? The tabernacle functioned exactly like our homes and bookshelves do. It's an indirect source of knowledge. For the people of Israel, the tabernacle was in the middle of the camp. The glory of the Lord was present in their midst. That's certainly true. That's certainly true, but it was indirect because around the temple were the priests. 
And they, they were the ones who mediated between God and the regular people of Israel. And so the tabernacle, God's presence, was indirectly experienced by the people. In Jesus, we have something very different, don't we? The Word became flesh and has dwelt among us. When we encounter Jesus, John says, we are encountering God directly. Not indirectly, not secondhand, but directly, which is a pretty big deal, wouldn't you say? Well, John then kind of takes at the next level in verse 16. He has a little parenthesis, and then in verse 16, listen to what he says. Out of God's fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given by Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so again, John wants to draw our attention to what was revealed by Moses and what is revealed in Jesus, right? Moses, as I said, went up the mountain and he received two things, the instructions to build the tabernacle and he received the law. Uh, and, And that law was given as an extension of grace. Did you notice how John describes it? He says, we have received in Jesus grace in place of grace already given. And we often misunderstand the purpose of the law, uh, partly because it's a little bit hard to read. There's a whole bunch of laws in there that we would no longer really think about as being significantly impacting on our lives today. Certainly the Ten Commandments, but there's a whole bunch of stuff in there you think, oh, it's just strange. But we often misrepresent and misunderstand what the law was meant to do. See, the law, and this is what I want to kind of begin to return to the idea of relationships, the law was meant to be a reflection of a relationship with God, right? If there are certain behaviors, if there are certain behaviors that mark your relationship with your closest, deepest friends, how much more so will there be behaviors that mark your relationship with God? And so there are things about how I treat God and how I treat you and how I think about myself and how I think about the world that ought to be a reflection of the fact that I'm in relationship with God. And the law is an act of grace. This is the second place we tend to get it wrong. We disconnect relationship and rules, right? We, we, we disconnect the fact that the law is meant to reflect our relationship. But the second thing that we do with the law is we tend to treat it like a, a stepladder to salvation, right? We talk about if you follow the rules, then you'll be fine. And there is an element of truth to that, isn't there? You know, if, as I said, you know, if you, uh, if, if you have a, a deep, deep friendship but you never behave in the way that someone does in a deep friendship, do you really have a deep friendship? If you never, ever think about or contact your deepest friend, if you never ask them how they're doing, if you only ever meet with them when it's helpful or useful for you, if you're always mean and nasty to them, seeking to cut them down and gossiping about them behind their backs, do you in fact have a close friend? You'd have to say no, wouldn't you? So the, the, the rules matter. 
But we need to recognize that the law is a function of grace. And let me explain why that is. If the law had been a, a, a kind of a stepladder to salvation, then the book of Exodus would have looked very different. Here's how it would have looked. Moses would have seen the burning bush, gone over to the bush, and God would have said, Moses, I'm sending you to my people. Here's the law. 612 of them. Take them to the people and tell them, if you will obey these, if you will be faithful, then I will certainly come and rescue you. And Moses would have trooped off to, to Exodus and gone, hey, everybody, good news. God has heard uh, that we're oppressed. He wants to do something for us. So here's 612 laws. Let's have a crack at them. And if we can do these, if we can be faithful and obedient, God will certainly rescue us. That's law as a way to salvation. It's not how Exodus unfolds, is it? Exodus is, I have heard of your oppression, and I have reached out, and I have rescued you, and I have brought you to myself as an eagle has. And now that I have rescued you, let us be in relationship. The law is meant to be grace. The law was given by Moses. Grace and truth came from Jesus. What is it exactly that John wants us to understand about Jesus here? Because both Moses and Jesus reveal something about God. What is it that Jesus does? And I actually reckon, if I can come back to the whole question of protocol around a relationship, where you focus so much on the protocol, you focus so much on access to, so much about doing and saying the right thing, that the relationship kind of falls away. If we only focus on the rules of our relationship, if we only ever focus on the behavior and not on the relationship, the relationship will wither. Let me, let me put it this way. What did the teachers of the law and the Pharisees have the biggest problem about with Jesus? Remember what they were always fighting and disagreeing about? They were always fighting and disagreeing about the rules. The rules. Why don't you, they would say. Why don't you observe the Sabbath? Why don't your disciples do this? Why don't you, why don't you, why don't you do it the way we do it? And what was Jesus' response to them? You only focus on the rules and the relationship has withered. Because isn't that what happens when we focus on the rules? Now, the rules matter, don't they? The rules matter. How we live in relationship to God is important. But what does Jesus do? He says, let me put the cart before, after the horse. Let me put the relationship at, this, at the heart of it. Let me put the relationship at the heart of it. And once the relationship is at the heart of it, and once you have met God, the rules will follow. You'll understand that if you are in relationship with God, that there's certain behavior that you are therefore called into, you are invited into, but the relationship comes first. The relationship comes first. And what John is saying is that in Jesus, we no longer even have the distraction of the law. We don't have the law that's been given to us to go, oh, that's what we have to do, where we can so easily run after it. Suddenly, our faith becomes just about following the law, just about the rules, just about the things that we're supposed to do, and we never get to the relationship, and it withers away, and we become legalistic Pharisees, don't we? 
What does Jesus do? He places relationship right at the center, and he gets rid of all the protocol. I mean, think about the people who Jesus was surrounded by. Tax collectors who were despised in the ancient world. Traitors, not only to their people, but also to their, to, to, to their faith. Think about the, the people, the sinners. I've always wondered at that. I mean, we're all sinners, but there was a special category of sinners. They were so sinful that they were like their own category of sinner. Prostitutes. Think about those sorts of people and the protocol of them coming before God. Imagine them coming to the tabernacle or the temple, wanting to come into the presence of God. What are the hoops that they have to jump through? Well, you're currently ritually unclean, so you need to become ritually clean. And then your behavior is no good, so you need to bring that up to scratch. And you probably need to be born in a different family so you can be a priest, right? And then maybe every so often you can enter into the presence of God. That's the protocol, and Jesus gets rid of all of that, doesn't he? In Matthew, Mark, and Luke's account of Jesus' death, he is accused of saying, I'm going to destroy the temple and raise it in three days. What's that all about? It's about saying, I bring you face to face with God, and the protocol is gone. You meet me, you meet God. You meet me, you meet God. And John is saying, This is so different. It's no longer the indirect knowledge of God from the temple. It's no longer just secondhand news about what other people have heard about God. It's no longer even about thinking about the law primarily as, as a first importance. Instead, it's about the relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ. And so when we read the gospel, John says, when we read these words, when we listen to Jesus, we are listening to God. When we see what Jesus does, when we watch his actions, we are watching what God does. This is the Jesus who John introduces to us. Behold, he says, let me use some of the language you're familiar with. Let me use some of the language of Exodus to point out just how radically different Jesus is. How radically different he is. It's kind of like those stories I had someone share because I couldn't find one during the week. You know those stories when people meet someone famous, but in a, in a situation where they don't realize that they're famous? Apparently, that's how um, Mary Donaldson met Frederick. They met in a bar at the 2000 Olympics, and she had no idea who he was until she was escorted out the back door of the pub with, like, security guards. <laughs> and she kind of went, that's odd, right? That's different. You know those stories? They meet someone famous in, a, in an airport lounge or in a park or someplace where you did not expect to meet them, and they have this wonderful, this little wonderful interaction, and then they walk away and they go, oh, that was so-and-so. That's amazing. The protocol is all gone and the relationship can flourish. Jesus does that. So this Easter, here's the challenge for us. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes Easter can feel, well, just like last Easter, which felt like the Easter before that, which felt like the Easter before that. It's just kind of they all roll into each other a little bit. You ever feel that Easter ought to be a little bit more significant than it is? Kind of, we kind of need to get out of our rhythm. Well, here's, here's a challenge for you. This Easter, in the next couple of weeks, to read through John's gospel, or any gospel, uh, and focus on the relationship that he invites us into. Uh, Jodine mentioned we're encouraging people to read the Bible together. 
You may want to read the Bible with someone else, or you may want to read it by yourself. Either way, can I encourage you to ask the four questions that we are asking people to think about? What stands out to you? What questions do you have? And then focus our attention on what's the invitation that God is giving to us, and then who might we tell? And let's focus our attention on the relationship with God that we are invited into in Jesus. And perhaps, perhaps when we come to Easter this time around, we might be, well, a little bit changed. And this isn't just for those of you who, like me, have been following Jesus for a long time and who need a little bit of a kickstart for a fresh Easter. For those of you who are here this morning or perhaps listening to this on a podcast sometime during the week, uh, and if you're beginning to explore who Jesus is, this is an invitation for you to, to encounter and understand who Jesus is and to be introduced to God through him, to allow the relationship with God to blossom and allow the rules to kind of follow as they need to. Our behaviors do matter, but our relationship is at the heart. I'm going to be interrupting my uh, Bible reading. I'm reading through the Bible. Uh, I'm going to interrupt where I am and jump ahead to the Gospels for the next couple of weeks and read through the Gospels, and I'll jump back to the Old Testament. So you're free to join me, if you would like, uh, in these next couple of weeks to focus our attention and our hearts on the relationship that we have in Christ Jesus in John's Gospel or another Gospel, if you'd like. Uh, But why don't we take that opportunity to do that together and see what happens this Easter as we reconnect with the relationship we have in Jesus. You with me? I'm going to invite Lisa and the team up, and they're going to lead us in our closing song. It'll be an opportunity for prayer. Our prayer team will be down the front. We'd love to pray with and for you about whatever's going on in your life. But as they come, can I take an opportunity to lead us in prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you that um, when we encounter you, we encounter God. And that you don't make us jump through hoops, you don't make us um, match some sort, of, uh, uh, some sort of prescribed list of behaviors before we meet you, but that in you we are introduced to God, to the source of life, to change and transformation, uh, and that as we meet you, we are called into and invited into a new way of living. I pray that you'd forgive us for the times that we have um, got those backwards, where we've ended up focusing on the rules and behaviors and forgot about the relationship. And I pray that for each one of us, as we perhaps seek to re-engage with the Gospels this Easter, uh, that you might really open our eyes and our hearts to that relationship that you long for. And that as we reconnect with that relationship, that it might change not only the way we encounter uh, you this Easter, but the way we encounter you every day of our lives. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Will you join me in reading through the Gospels again in preparation for Easter? Whether this is the first Easter you have observed as a seeker or is the latest in a lifetime of following Jesus, let me encourage you to encounter God again directly through what Jesus says and does. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook or visit our website at gamiabaptist.org.au. We hope you join us again as we listen for God's invitation to join in His work. May your eyes and ears be open and your heart soft to the invitation of the Spirit to join in God's renewing work in Jesus. God bless.